Roderick and Walker and his wife, Melanie, have been married since 1983 um, and have been serving in ministry together since that time. They have four children, um, and he has, they have been faithfully serving in ministry since then, um, but he has been serving as um, pastor of Grace Bible for a long time, a faithful ministry there. Um, they are a church that we have begin par- begun partnering with really because uh, they invited us to a men's ministry, uh, which was, it was awesome. This, um, it's been a great time of getting to know them as a church, and, and um, Pastor Rod, I've, I've got to talk with a couple of times to the pastor's um, meeting in North County, and it's been a joy to get to know him and to see him um, work and minister. Um, they love doing ministry together, and Pastor uh, Rod is involved in many different ministries, many different ministries. Um, he says he likes serving locally and at his church and his family most, but he gets to the opportunity to, to travel around and, and talk about uh, ministry and discipleship and marriage. Um, they like to talk about marriage um, and, and minister to people in that way. Um, so if you will join me in welcoming Pastor Walker as he comes and uh, preaches the word to us today. You're grateful. Thank you, Joshua. Appreciate it. Amen. What a joy and a privilege to be here with you all today. And uh, we um, are just so excited to be here. want to introduce just a couple folks and a few folks that are here today with us. And uh, one of the men who served as an elder at our church for over 20-some years and uh, slipped in on us today. And uh, him and his wife and uh, Brother James Clay and Sister Claudette. And uh, raise their hands there. And I uh, want to welcome them. And then my wife, and uh, my only fame to claim is that she has stayed with me in uh, over 34 years, and uh, she still likes me. <laughs> and uh, so, and Melanie, my wife, is here with me today, and uh, so good to be here with you all. And some of you know I, I did bring another little friend as a little surprise, and so the children, right after I uh, introduce this friend, I'll inter- dismiss them. I have instructed dismiss them, I guess the ones that are from two years old to third grade for junior church, and I'll do that right after. But he is over here in the suitcase. I'm going to wake him up, but I'm going to need to get a chair and uh, real quickly. You'll get a chance to meet him. And uh, so I have about six of these little guys, and they travel with me, and get a chance to go with me to different various places and um and so every time that i told pastor sergey he said oh that'll be great and i said i'm gonna bring one of my little folks and uh, so let's see if we can wake him up but i'm gonna need some help and uh one of the things i'm gonna need some help with on the count of three i'm gonna need some of you all to say wake up roscoe okay and uh, let me get this zip so i can get the sound to go inside there and uh, a little bit and uh on the count of three one two three let's say it Roscoe, Roscoe, y'all didn't say it loud enough. He's still sleeping. Okay, you got, you got, to, you got to get loud, y'all. I know you know how to get loud. You do it at the ball games all the time. Okay, let's do it again. One, two, three. Yeah. Oh, oh, man. Oh, oh, man. Roscoe, Roscoe, little buddy. Oh, what is it? What is it? I want you to meet some folks. I want you to wake up here and, uh, oh, man. Okay, little buddy, come here, come here, come here, come here. I got some people I want you to meet. 
and uh, that are here. And uh, Roscoe, now I want you to be real nice, and I want you to say uh, hello to these nice folks. Hello, you sinners. Roscoe. <laughs> Roscoe, what are you doing? You can't be doing that. We're trying to bridge the gap, man. <laughs> and uh, you, you, you can't just be going to say, now I need you to confess, man. What's wrong with you? You shouldn't be acting like that. And I need you to confess to what you just said. Man, I get carried away. Don't be getting carried away. I need you to confess. Dear Lord, forgive me for calling these sinners sinners. And dear Lord, help these sinners not to be mad at me. And dear Lord, help these sinners to have a good attitude. Amen. Roscoe. Yeah? What kind of prayer was that? That was a sinner's prayer. Roscoe, you... You, you are a mess. You know that? You are a mess. Why, why are you acting like this this morning? I don't know why you act like you act. What are you talking about? You didn't tell them, did you? Tell them what? You didn't tell them, did you? Tell them what, Roscoe? You know what? Roscoe, what are you talking about? You didn't tell them you got a ticket on your way here to church, did you? Roscoe, I'm not the reason we got the ticket. Oh, yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Tell them what you did. I don't want to tell them. Roscoe, tell them what you did. Roscoe, what are you doing? I don't want to tell him. I don't want to tell him. Roscoe, will you turn around here? Will you? I don't want to tell Roscoe, turn all the way around. I want you to turn all the way around. All the way around. All the way around. Roscoe, what are you doing? Will you stop it? I mean, turn around to me. Turn around to me. Yes. Tell him what you did. Well, the police officer came to the car. And I said, hey, buddy, you want to sing the YMCA song? Right. And then what happened? He said, get out the car. Get out the car. And what did you say to him? I said, well, I got to get off the car. Not until you think I'm being smart. And he said, what did he say? He said, yeah, you're being smart. And then what did he say to you? He said, your eyes look red. And what did you say to the officer that got him so upset and mad? I said, your eyes look glazed. You've been eating donuts. Roscoe, and that's what got the officer so upset because he thought, I could have taken him. Now, what do you mean you could have taken him? See, I got my hands a license, but I was going to melt his daughter, grease his grits. I was going to float his boat, rock his world. And then I was going to chunky his monkey. Roscoe, that is not the right attitude to have when it comes to police officer. Yeah, I know. And guess what else? What else, buddy? Did I tell you I want to go into the ministry? No, you never told me that. I didn't tell you that, huh? I do. I want to be a preacher. You want to be a preacher? Yeah, I want to be a preacher. Now, wait a minute. You never told me you wanted to be a preacher. Yeah, why you want to be a preacher? I know you want to know that, right? Well, tell me why you, yeah, tell me why I want to be a preacher. And I know why I want to be a preacher. The question is, why do you want to be a preacher? I got an answer. Why do you want to be a preacher? I think it's easier to stand up and holler than to sit down and listen. Roscoe, that is not the reason to be a preacher. That is not the reason you become a preacher. If you're going to be a preacher, you need to know the Bible. I know the Bible. Okay, you do? Yeah, I know the Bible real good. Okay, I'm, 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 I'm going to ask you a few questions concerning the Bible, and I need you to, uh, to see if you can answer these. Who were the twins in the Bible? Oh, man, that's an easy one. You know the answer? Yeah, I know the answer. Twins in the Bible. That's easy. Who were the twins? First and second Samuel. <laughs> Roscoe, those were not twins. Those were books of the Bible. Wait a minute. You said those were books? Yeah, those are books. Those were not twins. Oh, then I didn't do too good on that one, did I? I'm going to ask you another question. Yeah, go ahead. I think I got it. Okay, who was the shortest man in the Bible? Ah, uh, I think I really know this one. There's something in a name. What do you mean there's something in a name? 
He had a son in the name. The shortest name of the Bible was Nehemiah. Roscoe, Nehemiah, that's another book of the Bible. Man, you're not doing too good, am I? No, you're not doing too good. Man, I need to do something about this. Okay, I'll tell you what, give me one more. I'm going to give you one more, little buddy, one more. And uh, tell me, and uh, who is the wisest man in the Bible? Ah, uh, I know this one. Who was the wisest man in the Bible? That's easy. That was Solomon. Yeah, I got it right, didn't I? Yeah, you got it right. But let me tell you why Solomon was so wise. Why was he so wise? Because he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That made him wise? Yeah, he had so many wives to advise him. Oh, Roscoe, I see. You know what? You, 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 you're amazing. You know what? And uh, um, anything else that you want to say before I put you back in your suitcase? Yeah, I think I want to sing a song. You want to sing a song? Okay, let's see if you can sing a song, Roscoe. And uh, let's go ahead. And uh, you, you're having a hard time standing up on your stand today. Yeah, I am. Okay, okay. Let me go ahead and sing a song. Hey, where's my music? But you know what? Sometimes, you know, I, I, I have some issues with you because of the way things you say. But you know what? I think you're really trying to get it together. Yeah, I'm trying to get it together. You know, I really love the Lord. I believe you love the Lord, and I believe you want to do the right thing. Yeah, I do. Hey, man, he stopped my music. I didn't do the last verse. Who's that up there on the maximum media room? Who's that in the media room? Man, you need to fire that guy. Roscoe, you better stop that. And uh, anyway, Roscoe, and uh, we, we're going to go ahead and let you go because um, we've got a message to preach today. Yeah, I'm, I know. I'm excited. And uh, I said, okay, I'm just going to finish acapella then. When we been there 10,000 years, so good being here. Roscoe, it's so good having you. All right. Take care, you guys. Take it easy. Take it easy. Take it easy. Oh, man. Oh, man. I hate getting back in this thing. Take it easy. Watch it. Watch it. That's my nose. Watch it. Uh, uh. Oh, man. Oh, man. All right. Let's give Roscoe a big hand. Just a quick update. I know many of you have been praying for me. Thank you so much. Have been praying for me and uh, with regards to our, our cancer. And uh, one of the things that has happened on the 14th of um, November, I will get a PET scan and they will look to see where the tumors and uh, as far as my lymph nodes are. Um, they didn't see any when they did the CT scan. 
Um, they um, did see red spots on my lymph nodes, and, uh, and so, um, that's, um, so I'm grateful to the Lord that uh, so far, so good, and then we'll know more by the 14th. Well, I'm going to, at this time, all of the children that are the ages and uh, from two years old until the third grade, if you would go ahead and you're dismissed. And if you're visiting today and, uh, with the church and you have children, you can just go to the foyer and, uh, and they will give you instructions there and uh, meet with you there and give you further instructions for those of your children. And uh, this time we're going to move into our time of our service and uh, we're going to move into the preach word. And uh, we thank God for the privilege to be here. There are eight churches that are involved today in this service that we're having. And, uh, and we thank the Lord for his timing and how he has orchestrated that and, uh, with these churches here. And so you can be in prayer for these churches today. And uh, the first church is Blessed Hope Bible Church, Center for Life Christian Church, Chatham Bible Church, Grace Bible Church, Forsen Valley Baptist Church, and then Hazelwood Baptist Church, Instep Church, and in Salem Evangelical Free Church is also one of the other churches. So let's go to the Lord now and pray. And uh, during the service, I will spray a couple of times because I have no saliva in my in mouth and uh, my mouth gets very, very dry. And, uh, and so I have to, from time to time, take a break or either hydrate or either spray in order to get my words out. But I thank God I didn't lose my voice. I was supposed to lose my voice during this cancer process. And I thank Lord that I didn't end up uh, so. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, again for this great privilege and opportunity to come here, to be here at Chatham. We pray now, Lord, that you will bless your word, bless the truth of it. We thank you, God, that every pastor is preaching this pastor out of the eight churches. And we thank you, God, for each pastor and the words that they will bring as words of exhortation. Bless us now and encourage us and strengthen us by your grace and what we hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In an interview with Billy Graham, he was asked to pinpoint the world's greatest social problem and issue. Billy Graham, drawn from 40 years of experience and visiting 100 countries, had this to say with regards to the greatest world social problem. Dr. Graham said the greatest social problem without question is racism. The unhealed wounds of racial injustice and animosity, unquote. When you hear names like Trayvon Martin, Ronald Madison, Freddie Gray, Kendra James, Eric Gardner, Alton Sterling, and Michael Brown, we would all say that black lives matters, but I would like to suggest that all lives matter. I would like to suggest that it goes beyond just one ethnic group saying where we're a certain group that we matter and another group saying that they don't matter. But I believe that in God's economy that all lives matter. And that's why Jesus in John 3.16 had this to say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God was concerned about this vast universe in this world when he decided to come into the world to bring salvation to all of mankind. And here's what I believe, that God wants us to celebrate both, not only diversity, but also unity. He wants us to celebrate our differences, and he also wants us to celebrate and uh, where we unite. And one of the things that we're going to look at this morning is this matter of what we call personal reconciliation. Personal reconciliation is God's answer to bridging the gap of racism. I truly believe that. Let me say that again. Personal reconciliation is God's answer to bridging the gap of racism. Today, I want to examine why personal reconciliation is God's answer to racism. The world, I believe, is longing for a kingdom or a place 
where they can see that every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every person counts, that all lives do really matter. I believe that as we look in this passage in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 to 22, we see where Paul is writing to believing Jews and also writing to believing Gentiles. And what Paul is wanting them to know is that when it comes to the lives that all, ma- all, all life matters or all lives matter, is that the middle wall of perdition has been broken down. And that there's no longer separation where God's looking at Israel nationally as a Jewish people and he's not concerned about the world of the Gentiles. But to know that God has come so that every man and every woman and every child can come and have a relationship with him. And so he gives us three reasons as to why we can have personal reconciliation and why these walls can be broken down. And the key is that what was said earlier today, we've got to love one another. We've got to learn as a church, not only black churches, but white churches, Hispanic churches, Asian churches. We've got to learn how to love one another. Here's a question I want to raise. Can you be ID'd as a Christian? If you were, if love was a crime and it could be criminalized, if love was one of those things that could criminalize us, would you be ID'd as a Christian and would they be able to be enough evidence to criminalize you as a Christian to say that you really love the way God said love. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciple. See, it's how we love not only the folks that are like us, but the folks that are not like us. And so here in Ephesians chapter 2, we have Paul's giving us, I believe, the understanding of how we can move to the place of accepting the fact that we can accept one another. Listen, it was God who first took the initiative in coming as an example to bridging the gap in accepting us and forgiving us and redeeming us. Our problem became his problem. In Ephesians 2 verses 1, notice what he says. He had made alive, it says, those who were dead in trespasses and sin and in which once walked according to the course of the world and according to the prince and the power of the air and the spirit who now worketh in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once and uh, conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and in the, of the mind and were by nature children of wrath just as others. But God, who was rich in mercy, amen, because of his great love, with which he loved us. The Bible says he loved us. He has called us to love others. We have the privilege and the opportunity to show the world something they have never seen before. And that is to help them to see the love of God and what God has done. And so God bridged the gap. He crossed over into the world. Now, in order for you and I to bridge the gap, we must first cross over into grace. Oh, y'all don't know if you heard me there. In order for us to bridge the gap, we've got to understand grace. Grace was God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace was God doing too much. He did too much for us. He did more than we could ever think or imagine, but he did it for us. And grace is the grand expose of God that takes us across the major bridges, the major colors, barriers, the major cultures, the major ethnicity, the major racism. See, it is here that God confronts us with all the isms, whether you're talking about sexism, genderism, whether you're talking about nationalism, whatever it is, God took by grace 
and he made it possible so that all the isms destroyed. I got a trivia for you, Chatham. Here's the trivia. How many different races are there in the world today? One, six, eight, or more than ten? Now, biblically speaking, there's only one. And you say, well, how do you get that? Well, God made it very clear in Acts 17, 26. He says this, He had made one blood of all nations of men for to dwell upon the face of the earth. He had determined the time before appointed and the bounds of their inhabitation because we were brought into existence by one blood. Think about that. Leviticus 17, 11 says the life of the flesh is in the blood. It wasn't until Harvey Williams came and discovered it was a circulatory system that kept us alive. God knew that years ago when he made it possible for redemption for me and you. And he made it because he knew we were all from Adam and that he knew that by one man's sin, all were made sinners. But by one man's righteousness, all can be made one. And so we can thank God and we can praise him and give him some glory that we can be one in Christ. Amen. We can only be redeemed by one blood. And see, that's what he's saying to us in verse number 13. Notice what he says here. But now in Christ Jesus, you were once afar off. We were at a distance, but have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It is the blood of Christ that sanctifies us. It is the blood of Christ that has redeemed us. It is the blood of Christ that has washed us. It is the blood of Christ that is God's answer to our matter of reconciliation. And it's through his blood that we can be reconciled not only to God, but we can be reconciled to one another. And I thank God that God has made it possible through the blood of Christ that we can be ready to redeem and be one people. So what the text is telling us that he makes the two one, He makes both Jew and Gentile one. He makes both black and white one. He makes both in what we would call Hispanic and Asian one. This is God's answer to the sin of what we call centrism, separationism, individualism, and racism. Now, when God reconciled us to himself, he bridged the gap to racism. He did it by reconciling us and calling us now the people. And here's the thing that we need to understand. When you look in the scriptures, you will see that he's not only called us, but he has given us a ministry of reconciliation. He's given us a ministry to make things right. Reconciling us and uh, being, instead of being hopeless and dysfunctional in an alienated society, he now leads us into a place where we are now one. And so we see that the first reason that we can have personal reconciliation is because God bridged the gap once that was separated us from God. He is now the one who stepped into this world and this universe so that you and I can be redeemed and so that you and I can be redeemed by one blood. That leads me to my second point. My second point is the second reason we can have personal reconciliation is that Jesus bridged the gap in giving us peace to overcome racism. He gave us the opportunity not only to be reconciled to himself, but also to be at a place where we can overcome racism by giving us peace. Notice that the scripture tells us, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. 
That's not only the peace with God, but we can have the peace of God. And so here, God is the God of our peace. God himself gives us peace, and he wants us to be his peacemakers. He wants us to show the world something they've never seen before. We can change the world and the way that they see racism by the way that we live and treat one another. The church ought to be so unique and so distinct and so uh, a group of people that the world need to take notice. You know why? Because if we look in the text, look in verses 14 to 18, what he has to say here to us. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees. I'm sorry. I'm over in chapter three, verse 14. For he himself is our peace who have made both one and he has broken down the middle wall of separation having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances so as to create himself a new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God and in one body through the cross by putting to death the enmity that he came and he preached peace to you who were afar off, there's the word again, afar off, but he's brought us near, and to those who were near, for through him we both have access to one spirit, to the Father. Here's what he's saying in the text. We are changed into a new people. We are changed into a new identity. That's why I asked the question, can you be ID'd as a Christian? You know, designers have things on their clothing that let you know who they are. If you have MK on your purse, ladies, and the Michael Kors, and the, that's the designer. If you have in the, what we call in the, you got Karen, Donna Karen, New York, and the DNKY, and the, that's the designer. And then some people have in the, if you've got a horse on your shirt, you've got a polo. So there's an ID. I believe that every Christian should be able to be ID. And I believe that the ID is the significance of what we do with the love of Christ that is resonated in us, that is in our heart from the day that we came to know Christ our Savior. And don't say you can't do it. Don't say that it's an impossibility. I want to suggest to you it is. And the reason that it is is because the Holy Spirit lives in you. Listen at the scriptures, what it says. The scripture says this in Ephesians 1.13, just one chapter earlier. It says, in whom you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. What does that mean? That means that the Holy Spirit took title deed to your life. The Holy Spirit gave you a new ID, a new identity. The Holy Spirit now calls you a child of God. So you have been ID'd as a child of God. The question is, do you want to represent and look like and talk like and walk like and act like God? So that the world can see the love of God and they can see it resonated in your heart and in your mind. And when they can see it, then you have that new identity that is representing who you are. Amen? With a new relationship. Now we have a new lifestyle. Giving us a new freedom. Under a new master that leads to a new purpose. Because we now have a new spirit and a new calling as ministers of reconciliation. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You are new in Christ. And so he is our peace. 
We have the opportunity to show the world something. We're going to show them the day when we come together, not only for a meal, but we're showing them as we come together across these different churches in North County to show that we are a new people and that we march to a different drummer and a new lifestyle in terms of our lives and how we live. Amen? Because of our theology, change. We were far off. We didn't believe this stuff because either through some type of prejudice, some way we were raised, something we heard, or some kind of notion that came in the mind and heart that we looked at people and said that they are so different than us and that I can't embrace them. But I want to say to you that we have a new theology, and our theology is based on the Word of God. And so that theology gives us a new ideology. That new ideology gives me and you a new what we would call footology. That footology gives us a new walkology. So when we walk, we walk different than the world walks. And that new footology and doxology and walkology gives us a new doxology. In other words, my life is put on display to glorify God. That's what the word doxological means. It means to put on display. We are called to glorify God. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works, that you might glorify your Father in heaven. How do we glorify our Father in heaven? By the way that we walk, by the way that we talk, by the way that we live. It is a euphemism in Scripture that's letting us know that there's a certain way that as a Christian that we are to live our life so that as the world looks at us and it's frustration, when the world looks at us and it's irritated and it's agitated and it's exasperated and it's discombobulated, that they see that there's a group of people that has overcome all the aids of life and has overcome all the racism of life. See, the problem is not the skin color, but the sin color. Oh, let me say that again. The problem with racism is not the skin color, but the sin color. And it's always been the problem. The problem all the way from day one was not the skin color, but the sin color. You can see that even with Cain and Abel, that there was a sin problem. It wasn't a skin problem. It was his brother. And the problem has always been that somebody likes something over against another thing. Cain came with the fruit of the ground. Abel came with the offer to sacrifice to God. There was a blood sacrifice. And of course, his brother, his own brother, having even the same probably complexion and skin, that was not the issue. It was a sin problem. And until we deal with the sin problem in our culture, in our world, until we help people to see that it's not a, not a, not a skin problem, it's a sin problem, that is, I believe, the true answer to racism. Here's my answer to racism, the gospel of grace. Amen. The gospel of grace is the answer. When people's hearts are changed, when their minds are changed, when their love for God and their love for people are changed, by this shall all men know that you are my disciple. The issue is not race. The issue is grace. The issue is not race. The issue is grace. Did you know that God is colorblind? What does that mean? That means that he is no respecter of person. It means he's no receiver of faces. He's no receiver of your face, no more than he's no receiver of a black face, a white face, an Asian face, a Hispanic face. Now, here's the challenge for all of us when I say that. Some people say, well, I'm colorblind. I don't want you to be colorblind. I want you to see for who I am. 
I want you to see me in my ethnicity as an African-American. I want to be able to see you as a brother of the light of you. I want to see my Hispanic brothers in their own ethnicity. I don't want to try to taint, paint it with a broad brush and taint it and not see people for the way God has made them. We're all fearfully and wonderfully made and my soul knoweth right well. Amen? Amen. I want to see you for who you are because God says he's made you. God has fashioned you. God has put you here as the person that you are. Not so that everybody's colorblind. God is colorblind in the sense of our salvation in terms of how he sees us. But not in terms of who we are as a person. I want you to see me as to who I am and the way God has made me. And I want to be able to see you the same way. We are the opportunity to understand what it says in Galatians Chapter 3, verse 28. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. God's plan for Chatham, God's plan for grace, God's plan for blessed hope, God's plan for Hazelwood Baptist Church, God's plan for Salem, God's plans for Florissant Valley. All of the churches is to become a visual picture and a language to our society, a Christian counterculture, a Christian counterculture to racism, to show that there's a new community, to show that there's a new society, to show that there's a new group of people. Listen to what John Stott said from Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. He says, the middle wall of perdition and the cultural walls that once separated us has now been broken down, giving visibility to one personality, one hope, to one Lord, to one faith, to one baptism, to one God who is in us and over us all. Amen? We, the church, ought to be so unique, so distinct, that the world will take notice that we do love one another. When Jesus says, by this shall all men know you, and he said a new commandment. What made the commandment new anyway? You ever thought about that? He said a new commandment because in the Old Testament, that commandment was given already in the Old Testament. Let me tell you what made it new, and you need to see this. What made it so new and so unique was that Jesus did something very unique that had never been done before. He took not only the word of God from the Old Testament But he came and he took and he grabbed this cloth and he went and he went to my brother and he got down on his knees and he got there and he washed the feet. They had never seen that before. In other words, me as an African-American brother serving my brother of a light of you. Me as an Asian or Hispanic brother serving my brother who is of a light of you. Or me as a, a light of you brother serving my brother who's a black brother. He got down and he demonstrated to them so that they would see and know. They had never seen that before. By this shall all men know that you are my disciple, that you love one another. When we demonstrate that love, when we show that love in more than just words, see, it's not in what we say, it's in what we do, then guess what? They get a chance to see the new commandment. They get a chance to see the new identity. They get a chance to see the new people of God, the new church, the new spirit, the new calling, the new walk, the new testimony that we say that we all have in Christ Jesus and where we understand that you are my brother and you are my sister. And you are a part of the family of God. Amen.
Let me get to my last point as we get ready to close here. The third reason why we can have personal reconciliation, Jesus bridged the gap of racism, reconciling us to know that all lives do matter. Look in verse 19 through 22 here. He says this, now therefore, whenever you see therefore there, you ask what is it therefore? It is because everything that he has said previously He's bringing it to a conclusion. Notice what he says here. You are no longer strangers or foreigners. You are no longer aliens in a sense or immigrants. Remember, we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. We were not a part of the covenant people. But somehow through God's grace, he grafted us in. Somehow, because of grace and mercy, we are now a part of a new family. Remember what he told Abraham? He said, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed because of you. Read on what he says here. Notice what he says. He says, we are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together, grows up into a holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. All racism is based on the superstition that one race is inherently more superior than another race or is inferior or vile by comparison. See, the Bible tells us that we are to love one another. We are to comfort one another. The Bible tells us we are to pray for one another. And I thank God that Chatham has been praying for us in, our, in my sickness. We are to admonish one another. We are to encourage one another. We are to love one another. Do you know that the Bible mentions almost close to 59 one another's in the Bible that we are to do toward one another? And that is a tremendous ministry that we have of one another. The Bible said that we are therefore no more strangers, no more foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints of the household of God, we are called to be an extension of his redemptive grace, his redemptive love, and his redemptive mission, to which it means that we are to carry out his redemptive will, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Remember the story of the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4? Jesus had some prejudiced disciples. You know what he did? The Bible says that with his disciples, he had to send them away. He sent them to the city of Sychar. And they had to go get some Sychar fried chicken, y'all. And some Coca-Cola and some corn and some string beans and so forth. Why? Because he knew he could have never witnessed to that Samaritan woman had they been there. Because Jews and, and Gentiles, they had issues. They had issues and they didn't kind of come together and they didn't mix. So when he sent them disciples away, he led the woman to the Lord. And she had a testimony of what great salvation Jesus had brought. Matter of fact, a testimony so great she went into the town to tell everybody in the town about this Jesus. Now her testimony was firsthand, but to the people she told it became secondhand. It didn't become firsthand until they were able to come back and to tell others also what Jesus had done for them. And the Bible says they did believe. So every one of us that believe, we have a firsthand testimony as we live out this thing as we bridge this gap, as we understand that we have a relationship to God and that relationship is all to one another. It's not based on what skin, it's not based on my ethnicity, it's not based on 
what culture and where background I come out of my tradition. Now, here's some things that I want you to remember. I want you to look at this thing when we look at bridging this gap and closing. There are four things that I believe that are crucial to bridging the racial gap and the isms of racism that lead to unity. The first is that we need to make it a point to invite a family of a different racial background to our homes and our churches to erase some of the lies and the stereotypes. One of the things that's been so unique about us for three years as pastors is that not only have we had a chance to do this Unity Sunday in our second year, but most of us have either been in either other's home. Just two weeks ago, Pastor Sergi was at my house and we had a chance to fellowship together for two to three hours together. I've had a chance to be at Pastor Jim Walker's home and we've had a chance where all the pastors have come together during the Christmas season with our wives and to be able to be together and to be able to fellowship. See, it's more than just painted with a facade, but it's going deeper in our relationships so that the things that sometimes that have been set up in our mind, the strongholds, that we can begin to tear down those like the middle wall of partition has been torn out. Some of the stereotypes that we have concerning a brother or sister, we can begin to move from that. The second that we need to understand, because he is our peace, we are his peacemakers. God has given us a ministry of reconciliation to impact this world that has an issue with racism and social change. We are the change agents in for this world. And they need to see that there's a group of people, a new group of people that march to a different drummer and to a different and a beat. And as they see that, we begin to change the landscape and the genre, how the world looks and sees the church. Third, we need to make it a point to learn about the ethnicity, the history, the tradition, and the background, and even the approach to worship of my brothers and sisters. It was good today, and uh, in some many black churches, they do praise and worship, but sometimes they do a lot of spirituals. And then, of course, I kind of grew up in the, as an evangelical and a fundamentalist, and so I love the hymns, so it was good to be here to see the hymns. We, don't, we do more praise and worship on Sunday, but to be in a different culture and the hymns, and I like the hymns. You know why? Because I believe they go deep down to the bone, and they got substance in them. And so when I'm sitting here singing them songs of Zion and singing them songs and, and all of those songs and many of them that Fanny Cosby did, she did over 5,000 of hymns. Some of them names were changed. They're under other names, but it was really her that wrote a lot of them. God had given her gifts. She was a prodigy. And to be able to hear them song and to learn not only the hymns, but the spiritual, where we become what we call multi-generational in terms of music and understanding that multi-generational in terms of our churches. And so it's kind of great to be able to do that, to get the background, to go to different settings. And sometime in our conference that I'm in, we have over 28 different people groups that we have. And diversity is one of the things that we're really big on in terms of our conference. And then number four, to be inclusive of all people who come through these doors to worship at Chatham, who come through our doors to worship at Grace, who come through our doors to work of any of our churches that we must be intentional as possible in bridging the gaps of the isms and the racism that the world has allowed to set up camp. But I want to tell you that God has broken down the middle wall of perdition. He has broken down the things that separated us, whether it was by race, whether it was by isms, whether it was by ethnicity, whether it's by culture, whether it's by color, whether it's by hair texture, 
Whatever it is, God has broken that down and opened up a new and a living way so that you and I as brothers can not only worship together, but also love one another together, serve one another together, do projects together, be a church that is unified, the church that is one body, so that the world can see what it is that the church is and that the church will exemplify who Christ is. And by this shall men know that you are my disciples. I want to close with this closing illustration. We do believe that all lives matter. It's a story about two men. And these two men were the best of friends, but they had an issue. And the issue was that they would argue back and forth over what color Jesus was. The black man would say, well, Jesus had to be black. And the reason that he had to be black was because when you look in the book of Revelation, that you see that his hair was like wool, his feet were like bronze, and his eyes were like red. And these both men had a way of eisegeting the scriptures. The white man said to him, he said, no, that ain't right. He said, when you go all the way back to the book of Daniel, he said that he was the ancient of days. And when you look at the word ancient of days, that tells you right there that he had to be a white. And they argued back and forth and they would always, but they were the best of friends. And one day it got so intense and so bad over what color Jesus was, they went over in a ravine and had an accident. And they had an accident and both of the men knew the scripture to be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. And they both woke up and they found themselves in heaven. It didn't stop them from arguing. They were in heaven, and the angel had come to them and said, how can I help you? And the two men said, we want to see God. We want to get this settled once and for all. Because I'm telling this man that Jesus is black and God is black, and I've been telling the white man, so I'm telling the same thing. And he, the angel said, well, just a minute. God's busy right now, but he'll be right with you in just a minute. Just about that time, they still arguing back and forth and waiting. And finally, God steps out around the corner. And he said, here it is. This is the moment of truth. And God said, buenos dias. <laughs> we argue over things that we shouldn't be arguing over when we know that God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in the spirit and in truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, again for this day. This is the day you have made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. We pray now, Lord, as we move into our communion time and those that are here visiting with us, Lord, that you would bless this time in our communication. We praise you, God, and we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the words that have been exhorted us, that have been ministered to us, that we would take them to heart. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.